Hey everybody, Randy here. This month on the Work With Purpose podcast, in a special bonus episode, I sit down with my brother and renowned swim coach, Scott Thacker of Roanoke College. He talks about how he got into swimming as an athlete, how he transitioned into coaching, and what he has learned along the way. So if you're somebody who wants to be a professional athlete as a career or coach in any type of sport as your career, I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. So stick around. Season two of the Work With Purpose podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Work With Purpose podcast, the show that gives you advice, education, and encouragement for your career journey. And now, here's your host, Randy Mahoney Jr. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the Work With Purpose podcast. I'm so excited to bring with you um, my guest today, uh, Coach Scott Thacker from Roanoke College. Um, he's here today to talk with us a little bit about his story of getting into coaching for swimming. So, Scott, welcome to the podcast, man. It's good to have you. Thanks, man. Great, great to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, and thanks for thanks for having me on here. I hope I, you know, hope I add value to your your listenership, and you know, add value to what to what you're trying to do. But I really appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, man, absolutely. So. Um, so before we kind of get into a couple of different questions about your journey and things like that, why don't, um, why don't you take a minute and kind of give some of our listeners some context of kind of your current, you know, title, kind of what you do each day in regards to swimming and uh, coaching. Yeah. So I am the head coach of men's and women's swimming at Roanoke college. We're a NCAA division three school in Southwest Virginia. Um, not too far away from where I grew up in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And so I get to, I have the really the pleasure and the privilege of close of coaching close to home and close to, to most of our family. And um, so that's my, that's my big job. I'm a collegiate head swim coach. And so obviously responsible for a men's program and a women's program. We're a, a combined program responsible for two assistant coaches and a volunteer. Um, but I've been in this role since 2017, I was hired to um, reestablish this program. Roanoke College had swimming in the past, um, really from the 1970s back until maybe the 1940s. Something, some form of swimming existed here at Roanoke College. And then in the 1970s, for whatever reason, it kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And then in 2017, Roanoke College decided to bring it back. And um, I was blessed to be offered the position that I excitedly accepted. I knew knew nothing about how to start a college team, but um, I had a really great experience as a collegiate swimmer, and really loved the experience that I had. You know, coaching club and swimming club, and so it I, I knew it was something that I would really really enjoy and really enjoy doing. And there's not a lot of, not a lot of opportunities in life where you get to kind of spearhead the creation of something or the establishment of something. So I was definitely really excited to, to, to try that, you know, to kind of go into it, you know, vulnerable and putting, putting yourself on the line and trying to create something and start something from the ground up. That's great. I appreciate you kind of walking us through that. Give us like a 30,000 foot view. How did swimming start for you? And then how did you make the choice to move from swimming competitively on the athlete side and move into the coaching side? My first interaction with swimming, probably like most of us, is either at the beach or at your local summer pool. 
Um, I grew up around the water, and then when I was seven, my dad wanted to feel better about me being around the water, and I think just taking some stress off of him, so I got some swim lessons at our local pool, um, and the the head coach of that summer league team was doing my lessons, and he said, hey, you know, next summer, just sign Scott up for swimming, and so when I was eight, I started doing summer league, and then that segued into swimming club for the Lynchburg YMCA, and um, kind of never looked back um, once I started swimming. And so I swam, you know, club swimming as an elementary school kid, as a middle school kid, as a high school kid. Um, my junior year of high school, there were some coaching changes at the Lynchburg Y. And so I made the decision to start swimming in Roanoke about 15 minutes from where my office is now. And started swimming for a really prestigious club team here in Virginia called the, the Virginia Gators under Coach Doug Fonder. And um, swam their junior and senior year. I really had a a breakout two years. I was a pretty accomplished age group swimmer. So from like 10 to 14 and then from 14 to 17, um, I didn't drop any time. I didn't really have any improvements. That's pretty normal in sports. There's always a lull. There's always a time where you're kind of plateauing and you're growing or waiting to grow and was at a level where I was being recruited by division one power five schools and was recruited by some, some really great coaches at some really great schools and landed on going to Florida state university where I swam from 2007 to 2010 was a part of our men's ACC team title in 2007. I was an individual ACC champion in 2010 and I uh, was fortunate enough to be invited to NCAAs during my time as a collegiate athlete. And then after I graduated in 2010, I moved back here to Roanoke and trained with Doug Fonder and then coach and now really good friend, Corey McCulley. Um, and we trained for the 2012 Olympic trials. During that time from 2010 to 2012 was probably where the desire and my eventual love for coaching first started to formulate. I started doing lessons with kids on the team and started teaching at a learn to swim school in the Valley. And it first started just as a teaching, as a teaching bug. And, and so I went to trials in 2012 and had a great experience and a great journey. Um, training for trials. I didn't make the Olympics. I didn't make the, an international team, but really I performed as well as I think I could. I think I performed above and beyond my capabilities. I had wonderful coaches and wonder, a wonderful support crew. And I actually was looking for a team to continue to train with. I wanted to find a, a professional team and professional teams are much more widespread and much more available now, but I was looking at a few different places to swim and I got a call from a guy that I went to high school with. He was coaching in Richmond. He said, hey, Scott, we have an assistant position open up. And if you think you'd be interested in pursuing it, let me know. And at first, and, and really, this is a very similar kind of thing to my opportunity at Roanoke, too. At first, I was like, ah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to swim. I, I have this planned. But I was like, you know, what's it going to hurt going to interview, going to see what it's like? I know I want to coach in the future, so let's kind of see, let's see how things stack up. And long story short, ended up being an assistant coach at a Y, a y team in Richmond for about two weeks. And then my buddy who was the head coach announced that he and his wife were moving to the Cayman Islands. And I then about a month later became the head coach. So I had never coached a team before in any type of administrative capacity. I'd been like a I've been a group coach or, you know, an on-deck help, but 
kind of got thrown into the fire and um, but quickly figured out how much I love swimming and how much I love coaching. One thing that I wanted to ask here and from your time uh, swimming for Coach Fonder in, um, in, with the Gators, I, I'm curious, I, thinking back on your time uh, swimming for him, how, was there, you know, like one or two big lessons that he really passed on to you that you have kind of used in your swim coaching journey now? Yeah, so for those that know Doug, Doug is what many coaches and swimmers would consider old school. Okay, old school coach. So higher volume, he's very serious. Um, just kind of that old school group of coaches that tend to do more old school things, like a lot of hard work, a lot of a lot of heavy volume, a lot of heavy intensity. And so one thing that I learned from him is you, you can't be afraid to put in the work. And you can't be afraid to put in the time, the energy, the effort, and you can't be afraid to put the volume on. And I, and that, I mean that in everything. You can't be afraid of the work that you need to do as a professional to be successful. So one, don't be afraid to do the work. And the second thing is that I, I had a really great relationship with Doug. And so my, my swimmer to coach relationship with Doug was kind of one of the first, one of the first examples of how beneficial a good relationship with coach and athlete can be. Um, I think just naturally our, our personalities got along really well. I really liked the style of coach that he was super intense, super, um, some might call it say brash, but super direct. And which is what I, which is what I liked as an athlete. So we got along really, really well. And I had a really great relationship with him. You know, when, um, you know, when our family was, going through some trials and tribulations, Doug was somebody that was very consistent for me and someone that really helped me a lot. And so practice was something that obviously I, I, I think I physically needed during that time, but also I needed that interaction with him just as an outside party, someone who wasn't a part of our family, someone who wasn't, you know, my, my family, right? Just someone who was kind of on the outside looking in, but also a part of something that I really cared about. So. Um, and those two things definitely are, are, are big things in my, my day-to-day life as a coach. Kind of transitioning now to, um, maybe you're, you've had your, you've had your first experience at, you know, coaching in a YMCA, uh, you know, type facility kind of, you said it was kind of like being thrown into the deep end, right. Of, of coaching. Um, were there any big, big lessons that you learned from that experience, which kind of led you, um, to, you know, be continue to be a better coach into where you are now? Yeah, the simplest one is that you can't do it alone. I had asked for a lot of help because I, there's a lot of really simple things in coaching that you, you go into it like simple administrative work. It doesn't matter if it's budgeting or doing meat entries or um, billing or signing people up. There are a lot of administrative things that I had absolutely no idea about. And so I just had to say, hey, you know, to my boss or to our, our parents group, Hey, I need help with these things. I don't, I don't know how to do them. I don't want you to do them for me, but I want you to teach me how to do them. And so the, the biggest lesson is, one, you can't do it alone. And then from there, not being afraid to ask for help when you need it. And three, humbling yourself enough to always know that you don't always have all the answers. You don't always know how to do the things that maybe you're tasked to do. So don't be afraid to, to ask for help. Is that the most challenging part of your work as a coach now that asking for help piece, or would you say it's something else? That's a really good question. Um, no, 
asking for help is not the most difficult, not the most difficult part of my job. I think for me, the most difficult part of my coaching coaching job, and this is kind of like a, a whole different realm because it has nothing to do with administration. It has nothing to do with coaching practices. It has everything to do with coaching people. The most difficult part of my job is um, is punishing people, you know, um, and not because I'm adverse to it or I, we don't do it. It's just really difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to ask things of people, asking these young people to hold their standards, but also providing an environment where they, they are free to make mistakes and they are free to learn. And we, we allow people to learn, you know, it's not a one and done deal here if you don't hold a rule or hold our, hold our standards. But when we get to that point where kind of the road, we're at the end of the road with, with a student athlete where it's like, hey, you know, we've, we've asked you multiple times to, to do this or to do that. You're not holding our standards. You've continually not held them. You know, the, the end of your time here is done. That's really hard. And, um, but it's something that to maintain good culture and to maintain momentum, coaches have to do, organizations have to do. And that's, that's definitely the hardest part. That sounds really challenging, you know, to make, given your position and, you know, you're, you're in the, in the coaching seat for your team. And so you've got to also be, uh, be able to make those harder decisions, thinking about not just yourself, but for the good of the whole team. Hey everybody, Randy here. I'm taking a short break from this episode to give you an opportunity to check out a specific resource that I made just for you. It's a slide deck I've created to help you use the website LinkedIn to have a successful informational interview. Haven't done one before? That's okay. This slide deck will help you learn about what an informational interview is, what questions to ask, and more. Now, I'm selling this resource in two different ways. One, for free, or two, for a suggested donation. You can purchase this resource by visiting my website, www.pcast.com shop. Again, that's www.pcast.com shop. Oh, and one more thing. Remember, every donation helps to fund future seasons of the Work With Purpose podcast. So be assured, your giving is going to a great cause. Now, let's get back to the show. Another question I had. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on how you think college swimming or college coaching, um, will be changing in the next five years. Well, I think it's going to be a mix. Um, if you would have asked me this question two years ago, I'd probably have a, a totally different answer. COVID really put college athletics on its heels for sure. You had really the most college sports, specifically non-revenue sports, the largest cut of non-revenue sports in basically college sports history over the past 16 to 18 months. We're at the Division Three level, so it's a little bit different. Um, you know, Division Three sports really support the overall enrollment of Division Three schools. So the financial models of Division Three sports, they're all non-revenue. So our models of, of revenue and um, and budgeting and budget reconciliation are a little bit are vastly different than Division One because there's really no revenue sport, meaning a sport that makes money after all of their costs are accounted for from administrative costs to coaching costs to travel to uniform, all of that stuff. But I think non-revenue sports in Division Two and Division One need to put themselves in the position to become much more financially solvent as individual entities. 
I see a lot more individual fundraising from coaches and a lot more creative avenues of revenue for non-revenue sports needing to happen so those coaches can keep their jobs and so they can keep, you know, providing a really good athletic experience for their student athletes. With that, athletic departments also need to do the same. And don't get me wrong, during this time, you've had athletic departments like LSU that brought in over $160 million over this past year. And that's almost $10 million in revenue when it's all said and done. So you have really solvent athletic departments that have really solid donor bases, like Liberty University is one that have really solid donor bases. But you have institutions like the University of Connecticut, UConn, which are really well known for their women's basketball program, that were just bludgeoning money and losing money. I think they had a $50 million loss in revenue. So athletic departments are going to have to become less dependent on their revenue sports to fund all of the other sports at their school. Next up, a big thing that still has to do with money is um, the name, image, and likeness discussion that's happening right now. As an amateur athlete in the past, you're not able to profit off of your likeness. Like you can't, you know, have a Instagram sponsorship or even monetize a YouTube channel um, because that would that would make you a non-amateur. A lot of states, I think a majority of states are passing at some point over the next couple of years, name, image, and likeness laws where student athletes can profit off of their their name, image, and their likeness. Whether they do that on their own, they'll be able to profit from their own um, their own efforts. You know, maybe they start a podcast and get sponsored, or they have a YouTube channel, or they're doing different ads on Instagram. I think social media will be a big median for student athletes just because they're major influencers in their spheres. That also means thing, there's implications for schools now needing to pay student athletes for if they um, if a student athlete's image or likeness is used on maybe a Madden video game or on a brochure or something that is designed to advertise or make revenue. That's gonna be a big shift. Um, and I think the implications of that, no one really quite understands at the, at the moment. The last little piece that I think kind of can give us a, maybe a little bit more of a top-down view of what could be, the ever-changing recruiting and transfer rules. And I'm in, over here in our Division Three world, it's pretty smooth and, and pretty pretty easy, I guess, in terms of we don't have a lot of the riffraff to deal with that Division One and Two do. And and for your listenership that doesn't know the difference between divisions, Division Three has the largest amount of student athletes um, across mostly eighty percent private schools and twenty percent state schools. Division Three schools do not provide athletic scholarship, but they provide merit scholarship, need-based scholarship, and academic scholarship. Division one and two both offer academic scholarships, but at different levels. And there's different qualifications to be a division one member, a division two member. Division one is the, the pinnacle of college athletics. That's, you know, your big power five schools, you know, so like Ohio State football, Clemson football, Alabama football, all of those programs are, are division one programs. So Recently in Division One, the, the recruiting rule changed or the transfer rule changed where a student athlete is allowed to transfer one time during their career and not have to sit out. Typically, if you transfer football, basketball, some of the other big, the big sports, you have, to, you have to wait before you play. So you just can't up and transfer. And so they took out a lot of roadblocks for and provided for a much easier transfer process. With the name, image, and likeness, and schools now being responsible for providing a way to pay these athletes for their, 
for their name, image, and likeness. I think coupling that with the recruiting rules of transferring, you're going to have much more transfers. Athletes that, you know, a school says, hey, you can do this in terms of NIL, and you'll make this much here. And so that's going to be, I think, a big piece of recruiting. But overwhelmingly, I think the biggest shift we're going to see is the shift in athletic departments needing to get a hold on their spending and non-revenue sports being able to kind of fend for themselves and do much more active fundraising for their programs. Another question I had, and this is kind of pushing more towards maybe our listeners who might be listening and who want to um, and who are interested in coaching uh, sports, whether it's swimming or um, or another sport at maybe at the college level, but maybe wanting uh, to get started. The question I had for you was if you could give one piece of advice for someone who wanted to get into coaching college sports, um, what would you what would you say to them? So I have found collegiate coaching to be the most rewarding avenue of coaching for me. I love it. I'm one of those people that I, I don't have any complaints about my, my vocation. There's some hard pivots and some hard corners of any job, but I, I love my job. I'm super blessed to love what I do and, and, and I love doing it every day. And it's something that really, you know, gives me a drive and I really enjoy join my people and really enjoy my student athletes. I think that when you start coaching, you have to start coaching for a reason that's bigger than the X's and O's of the sport or the winning and losing of the sport. Your reason for coaching, and I won't even venture to say your purpose of coaching, because I don't think your purpose should be coaching. I think that your reason for coaching and what drives you as a coach has to be completely separate from the X's and O's and the winning and losing. The thing that I love the most about coaching and the things that, that drive me in coaching are the times where my coaching of an athlete or our program or what we've done or the, the what they've learned in swimming has helped them become and be a great human. Like that's the most rewarding thing to see for me. And that's not to say that winning is not a worthy pursuit. Our our men's team won our school our our team's first conference title this year. We had our first All American this year. Winning is fun. Winning is awesome. And it's a worthy pursuit. When things like that happen, we need to elevate those efforts of our people and celebrate them. And we certainly pursue winning, right? We want to be excellent. And so through our pursuit of excellence, we also pursue winning. When you're articulating your coaching philosophy or your reason for coaching, it's got to be bigger than the X's and O's and the wins and losses because those things are always going to let you down. Someone is always going to beat you. You're going to make a mistake as a coach. You're going to make the wrong call. You're going to put together the wrong training progression. You're going to have an athlete fail. You're going to have a team that loses. And if you're defined by those things, if that's the thing that drives you, then coaching is going to leave you really empty. Coaching is a hard job. It's not, it's not easy. You know, you're, you're in the business of, of helping young men and women and young people figure out who they are through whatever competitive landscape you are, you have football, basketball, baseball, swimming, lacrosse, track and field, rowing, whatever it is. And so if, if you're really wrapped up in the win, your win and loss percentage, you're, you're going to be constantly frustrated and constantly at odds with what you're doing. And, and I just don't think it's the right thing to be rooted in. That's so good. I appreciate you you sharing that because I'm sure, and I'm sure maybe you found this as you have met other coaches, um, maybe they have been so focused on that X's and O's perspective and not, you know, been coaching from that bigger, um, that bigger sense of, you know, purpose. So kind of transitioning, switching gears a little bit. Um, 
I, I also wanted to bring you on our podcast more than just sharing about your coaching background, but I wanted to give you a little bit of time to talk about your swimming podcast, um, the Swim Collective. So, um, so tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the show, what brought you to do a swimming podcast, and what has the response been like since uh, your podcast has, has started? Yeah, so my assistant and I have talked about doing a podcast basically since we started working together. Because what we do on the podcast is essentially what we do in the office every day, and that's sit and talk about swimming. Granted, when the mic's off, we're talking about our we're talking about our team, right? And the X's and O's and the progressions and really the administrative side of our team, but we're two people that really love swimming and follow swimming. We're big fans of swimming outside of our sphere. You know, Brandon, my assistant, he and podcast co-host, he was a division one athlete at Towson. And so we have these two very uber competitive, you know, mindsets, but we also love swimming. We, we love the science and the art of coaching and we love the science and the art of the sport. We had talked back and forth for a while. And, um, I think really the reason why we started was because we had time to do it because it was COVID. And so, I bought some, I bought some equipment and figured it out really quick and just, we just kind of went for it. It's been really fun because we're, we're doing it as a creative outlet and we're doing it as, you know, two people that really love the sport and, and really just want to add value to the swimming space. Whether we're, we have a, a, an episode that's themed or whether we're interviewing a coach we just want to be in a position and pursue a position in a space that adds value to the people that, that, that are listening. Like we just finished up an Olympic trials, a preview of Olympic trials where we did our trials picks and our wild cards to make the Olympic team. And, you know, we've had a couple of really great interviews already and we're kind of in like a, you know, in between seasons right now where we're like lining up interviews for our next kind of wave of, of interviewers. Um, but it's been, it's been really fun. You know, it's, it's, I've had the name of the podcast forever and I just had to get some microphones in the mixer and, and push record and just put yourself out there. And we're not trying to, you know, we're not thirsty in the sense of we're trying to get fans or a big following. We're not trying to pay our bills with it. So it's something that is, we can keep in a really great place and we get to do what we want with it. So as we're recording this, we're kind of in the summer months of 2021 and our listeners will likely have a chance to hear uh, hear this maybe more into the fall. And you mentioned a couple interviews that you're lining up right now. Um, I wanted to ask, are there any, uh, you know, maybe top uh, couple of interviews or uh, episodes you and your team are looking forward to uh, for the, for the fall of 2021? Yeah, definitely. So like the next kind of wave of interviews that I want to do is I want to highlight really great assistant coaches and really great head coaches, maybe at smaller schools, people that are doing really great things and have really great ideas about swimming that maybe aren't getting as much press as having someone that has an Olympian or someone that has a national champion. And we're also going to start interviewing um, women uh, coaches in our sport, which I'm also really excited about. I think giving voice to people that can add value is what we is what we look for, you know. Um, and I'm really fortunate to know a lot of those really great coaches at smaller schools and. A lot of those really great assistants and um, like one of my one of my buddies just got a, a, a power five head, a power five assistant job at Georgia Tech we're going to interview him about his transition from being a division two head coach to a division one assistant coach and um, 
got friends that coach in the Ivies and co- co- friends that have coached on the in the Pac-12 and and this is also kind of like a non-answer, but I just really just really like doing the podcast and really like talking to people. So I look forward to all of them because there's always something to learn. I've learned something from every single episode we've done, even on the ones, even the episodes that we've prepared for more like our this week in swimming or our trials picks. You know, we had like a 20 some page document just full of our trials picks and, and we learn, we learn there. The best way to connect with us is obviously like our, my Instagram, G Scott Thacker. Instagram is pretty much the only thing that I use. I don't have Twitter. I have Facebook, Scott Thacker. Um, I'll give I'll give you my email. You can put it in the show notes. And email is a really easy way to to get in touch with me. Our our podcast, the Swim Collective, is on basically every single major podcast um, avenue: Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, what's the other one? Apple Podcasts. So look us look us up. You know, there's a couple interviews on there now that are all super good, just super full of really really great golden nuggets. Not so much about you know, coaching, but about, about life. Like one, one interview that I really liked was with uh, the, the head coach of NC State men's and women's swimming, Braden Holloway. And we're talking about like what he wants his legacy to be. And he was like, I want my gravestone to be like loving husband, dedicated father, and nothing about swimming. And that like rocked me. And I just loved it because he's someone that I really respect and I've known for a long time. And I've never heard him articulated in that way. And just like getting to hear that conviction and getting to hear that, just like that certainty of knowing like who you want to be known for at the end of your life was like really, just really humbling and really inspiring. And it just helped really solidify that, hey, my love for the sport is great. We can pursue all these really cool things within our sport, but the reasons why I coach and the life that I craft outside of coaching has to be more, if that makes sense. That, that, that stuff has to be the most important stuff versus the, the wins and the losses. All right, and there you have it, our episode with Coach Scott Thacker, the head men and women's swim coach of Roanoke College. I hope you enjoyed it. hope you got a lot out of it. Remember, um, if you want the application guide for this episode, be sure to visit our website. It'll have uh, links that were mentioned in this episode, Coach Thacker's more in-depth biography, as well as links to his podcast, The Swim Collective, which you can get on many uh, popular podcast platforms. So until our next month's episode, I want to say thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you found this episode helpful, be sure to uh, leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to uh, share this with a friend if you found this helpful. And uh, until our next month's episode, remember, I'm Randy Mahoney, and you've been made with purpose, so work with purpose. I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Work With Purpose podcast. If you'd like the show notes for this episode or want to learn more, visit our website at www.pcast.com. If you found today's episode helpful, be sure to subscribe to our show, rate and review it on iTunes, or share it with a friend on social media. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Work With Purpose podcast.